Hey, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we're back for another episode of AB Testing. What number are we on, Brent? 28. 28. God, how did that happen? Cool. Yeah. All right. Totally. Apologies for anyone who has sat through all 28 besides us. We've gone through 28, right? We have. What's worse we is We might I, have gone through 40. What's worse is that I, I go... Not only do I sit here through these, but I sit through it again while I edit and take out all the dumb stuff Brent says. Not all of it, obviously, but you know, most some he, of it. He does a fairly good job at that. <laughs> and I said this on Twitter, like last time, like our, our tech support team turned around and seemed like just in two hours. I think there was a long weekend coming up. It was like the maybe I was like I can't remember. I think it was the Friday before along that, that Labor Day weekend. So I thought if I don't get this done today, it's not getting done for a while. Yeah. Well, again, the tech support team did a fantastic job. So this is weird. Um, we use, for those of you interested, I just use Audacity, which is a darn nice program for recording. It has all the features I need. For the first time ever, we have a debut in episode 28, something we've never done before. What's that? Well, normally, normally I'm track one because, you know, and Brent's track two. But today, Brent's number one. Woohoo! That was purely a mistake. That'll be fixed in the next episode. And when I mix down to mono, you'll never know. But for me, <laughs> I look and see what's going on, and, I, and I'm, I'm speaking in the wrong place. So I just wanted to share that the, with the, the audience. So this podcast is going to make you feel uncomfortable the entire time? No. I'm, Brent, being in the same room as you makes me uncomfortable. Uh, you're not the first nor likely the last to give me that feedback. Yeah, I, I read the report. Um, it's awkward. All right, uh, let's get going. We got our list on the board, and we'll get through it here and probably get to none of it. But let's try and see if we can get to at least one thing. So, Strata Conference, we talked a little about last time. You're going there in – it's in New York next week. Yes. Holy, holy crap, Batman, it's next week. It is. So, we, we uh, me and one of my employees are going. Uh, we have the goal of recruiting like monsters. Um. Got, for the first time in like 15 years, we talked about this last time, got new business cards. Um, Excellent. And I intend to come back with none of them. All right. Good we'll luck see with what that. happens. Yeah. Uh, are you going to tweet? You know, is it like, now is it like fishing? Where you catch and release? Or you like, like you hook them and you bring them home with you? I mean, did you book like one ticket there and 50 tickets back? That. <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't know what the limit is on my Amex card, but I am agile, so we'll see what happens. And the other thing, so uh, last time I issued an offer out to the one or the to the three. Um, if you want to want to connect, I'd love to meet you. Uh, I did get uh, one of our one of the three to uh, uh, reach out, so we'll figure out some logistics there. But you remember uh, Percy from yeah. several episodes yeah. ago. He's like a guest member on the show. Yeah, and it, it actually, on the way in, I was thinking through, hey, since we only have three listeners, it probably wouldn't be hard to meet them all. <laughs> it's great. It's great. And then, uh, yeah, I like to think of anyone who submits a mailbag item that we talk about, they're part of the show. Absolutely. Actually, that was a stretch calling this thing a show, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just roll with it. All right, cool. Speaking of, like, Things and conferences and things. I'm doing. We talked. I'm not going to recap them going to Eurostar in uh, for the mobile deep dive in November. But in between now and then, uh, I'm going to go give a short talk at the GoDaddy office in Kirkland on, oh, which I think is open to the public on 
October 9th, Friday night. What's the talk is? Yeah. Okay. So I'm doing like a half hour. And uh, normally I talk about very broad things. So I asked for suggestions and they gave me a like, what do you want me to talk about? Talk about anything. And they gave me a list of very specific things. Such so as? I will, well, I don't remember. I only remember the one I selected. I said, I can do that because I work on one of those, which is uh, strategies for testing a single page web application. Okay. So, but I will turn that into one of my um, sweeping generalizations full of opinions. <laughs> um, but I'll talk about it a little bit. It'll be fun. And then I haven't worked out when yet, but. I mentioned last time the wonderful people at Riot Games and uh, and Trey McRae invited me to come to uh, a uh, sort of a night of beer and appetizers they were having brew in ha Seattle. Ha. A brew ha ha, something like that. Uh, what was that? Three or four weeks ago, I had a good time talking to people, and he he contacted me and said, "Hey, we our people like talking to you. You're fun. You should come talk to." Talk to more of us. I'm going to go down to L.A. sometime for a day and uh, hang out with them and kind of see what they do and talk to them. Of course, I haven't got – I don't know when yet because my calendar has been cray-cray. <laughs> so um, I got to get back to it and figure it out because I have my – I'm like – he said in the next few weeks, I'm looking at my calendar and said, I think I can make – I can't make this. So I got to look at my – I got to – I sorry. If I, I'll try and email Trey – before I post this podcast, because I haven't actually replied to him, other than the first one saying I check my calendar and, and figure anything out. So, does he listen to the podcast? Yeah, he does. Oh, uh, okay. He apparently, um, and he's kind of a cool guy, so I don't know why he would do this, but he kind of stalks me. You know, uh, you're kind of a cool guy too. Well, birds of a feather thing. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, I think there's a lot of. I mean, you have. A uh, lot of relevant skills, a lot of relevant knowledge. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised. You make it. Oh, yeah, a- amen, baby. I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if uh, Trey Trey tries to convert this into uh, uh, a move move. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. He's yeah. cool. Well, We've sure. talked about that. That's not that's not in the cards. I am. Yeah, long story there, but you know, I'm at some point. After 20-plus years at Microsoft, 20-plus being 20 years plus three months, uh, <laughs> retirement. Actually, you know what? I don't know if you know this. It's September. In, uh, less than three months, I qualify for AARP. <laughs> so, you know, I'm yeah. as young at heart as I sound. I'm freaking old. You know, I was having this t- conversation with one of my mentees uh, just the other day. Um, in a couple of weeks, I will have a 17-year-old, and I'm just like, whoa, where the, where the hell did all the time go? Because when you go into work, right, we, we are surrounded by 20-somethings all of the time. Or people that act 20-something. Both. It's, Microsoft is a little like Never Never Land. You come here, and sometimes you never grow up. You never grow up, and <laughs> certainly physically, you, there's this overwhelming perception perception except for the few times in the day you actually look in the mirror where you sort of feel like you're the same age of all the people you work around or work with yeah so it does kind of befuddle me that i'm getting to a point where i'm going to start having friends who are in aarp right um i'm not gonna i'm saying i'm eligible i'm not gonna join except for you know what <laughs> i think i get free 
dinner at Denny's on my birthday. So I don't know. I think everyone does that. But the, ah, crap. But the thing that's going to be weird is when we start going to lunch, you're going to go, hey, do you offer a senior discount here? <laughs> What's wrong with that? Nothing. It's just, it's just going to be a slap right. in the face of, wow, I hang out with old people. Yep, I do. Uh, I want to, because I'm in a crotchety mood now. Um, get off my lawn. I'm going to skip ahead to the fourth item. We'll come back to that other one because that's re- really a proper order. So it's been a long time. It's been a long time since we've had an installment of stupid things Microsoft people do. And otherwise known as Alan's Soapbox. Get off my lawn. <laughs> So this one, um, I drink my coffee black like it should be drank. This is my, it's actually a, this is a uh, this is like the preview. This is like the the trailer that comes for the real peeve, which has nothing to do with coffee. So I'm not going to complain about. But black one, is one the, the way things, God and the Colombians intended. One of the things uh, that annoys people other than me is people will add milk to their coffee. They'll open up some milk in their refrigerator and they'll leave this half carton open, and then the next person will do the same thing. And by the end of the day, you have like twelve partially opened cartons of milk in the in the refrigerator so that if they're in the refrigerator what drives me nuts you know is what? they leave it right next to the coffee stand. i i don't like milk at all I, th- I think milk was invented to make cheese and that's okay. it <laughs> it has no other usage it's not for drinking all right that's gross ick what about chocolate yeah, yeah chocolate Ch- not and not necessarily milk chocolate dark chocolate because but chocolate milk? No. No, gross. It's, that's disgusting. Milk chocolate? No, sometimes, but no. I no dark chocolate only because it goes well with wine. Hot chocolate? No. Wow. Hot okay. cocoa? A little bit? No. No milk. I don't. Milk is gross. All right. Oh. Not even what? I, not even the right soapbox. Let's get on the other soapbox. Okay. Nothing to do with milk. Because that's just a common complaint about people. But so I work in a building. Uh, I've worked in buildings with elevators before, but I'm a, I'm a stair person. Now that I work on the 20th floor, I'm not a stair person. Although I do take the stairs like down. If I have to go down to reception, five floors below, no problem. I take the stairs down from 28 where, where the cafeteria is to 20 all the time. But uh, if it's more than like two floors, sometimes three, I don't I do use the elevator. So, And obviously coming into work in the morning, I take the elevator. It's um, I don't even know how to take the stairs from the lobby. So anyway, um, because our elevator goes to you know microsoft floors you have to use your card key little click thing to use the um the buttons the buttons don't work unless you swipe unless your card you swipe your card key right so everybody knows this because everybody's on microsoft yet yet uh there's only a card key reader on one side of the elevator in front of the bank there and inevitably every single day every single ride the um someone will step on Swipe their card key, press their button, and stand with their waist about two inches away from the card key screen. Yeah, like, yeah. like I have to stick my hand in an HR unfriendly zone <laughs> in order to scan my card key. So I think so. Hopefully, you know, which I have refrained from doing. We're all introverts. Here's a go, excuse me. I need to stick my hand in front of your. Um, uh, I scan my card key. But usually I just go hope that they picked a floor lower than mine so they'll get the hell out of my way so I can scan my card key and push the right button. If you're lucky also, um, 
There's buttons on both sides of the elevator, but the ones on the other side are useless unless you have a card key. But there is a window of about two seconds after someone swipes their card key where the buttons will work everywhere. So what I try and do is sort of tailgate on their buttons. But the point is that is that is access to the you, you are blocking access to me getting to work because they're not guarding it. They're just not thinking. But it's just the weirdest thing that they all scan my car key. I'm going to stand right up here in this corner. It's like, dude, you're weird. And I wonder, do you think this is probably inappropriate for the podcast? But I wonder if there are some people that maybe they just do it to get see what the reaction is from other people. Uh, That's uh, art. I right? now suspect you do. That's art. But I don't think. I don't think these I, others do. I, one of the things I, I studied in uh, – you know, I'm a music composition major. So I studied not just classical composition but modern composition and, and some of the, uh, the, the modern art approaches where the music – they said the performance – the music isn't the art. It's the audience's reaction to the music that's the art. Sure. So when you do like John Cage's four minutes and 33 seconds, you can look – which is uh, it's four movements of – Three movements or four, I can't remember, but just silence. That, but the but the point is, as I go off on my tangent, is somebody could look at that on the surface and go, "Well, that's stupid. I could write that." And yes, you could, but the music is how the audience reacts. And and I've uh, not only seen that piece performed, I've actually performed a percussion ensemble arrangement of that piece. We did we did a whole year of John Cage pieces, and the audience reaction. There is something to that. It's not all fluffy, fluffy, artsy, fartsy. Is uh, the audience will react, and it's interesting. You, you, uh, I've, I've percussion lost ensemble. Yes, I didn't know you you ever played. Uh, yeah, yeah. I percussion. Was, oh, yeah. I was um, uh, primarily a woodwind player, but in I did play a lot of percussion enough so that I actually faked and lied my way into uh, the percussion department during grad school. I just what, what instrument? We in had a, we had a professor that didn't know me everything. So mostly, I I mean. Everything. I, I'm I'm versatile enough. I could do. I totally fooled him into thinking I could play everything. And I'm going in. I was mostly keyboard percussion, so marimba, xylophone, vibraphone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so I did a bunch of stuff there, and then we did some snare drum stuff, which I can totally kick butt on, and I could fake my way through it. And then, and he gave me some really hard timpani stuff, and I, I not in my forte, but I just you know I'm I'm really good at. Again, fake it till you make it. I I practiced a lot and learned some th- and <laughs> and looked up some things um, in the library. Didn't have the internet back then. I'm old. And uh, anyway, I faked it through. It wasn't until one of the things you have to do when you're uh, in a music program is play. Uh, I'm going to smack you so hard in the head that something funny is going to happen. You have to do things called juries, which at the end of every quarter, three or four of the the music staff members, usually from your area, plus a few others, um, you, have to, you have to perform a piece for them, and they 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 critique you, like this is like your final. Okay. Like you imagine if you're taking lessons for for a, a quarter in college, your final is you have to perform something to show that you've uh, the lesson you've actually learned something from your lessons and you're applying and you've been practicing and stuff. Kind of kind of the musical equivalent of defending and, your. Doctoral thesis. Well, de- yeah, at a smaller scale. I, yeah. I had to defend my master's thesis, um, which was, uh, again, I got so lucky. I, that's a <laughs> long story. I got so lucky. Um, it's like you know, they showed me a score. So tell me about this piece. 
like a score, you know, a score is like the, all the parts. Mm-hmm. And I'll get back to the, st- the story in a minute, but uh, score contains how many measures usually? Oh, the score is the whole piece. Oh, the for, whole for, piece for, for every okay. instrument. Oh, got it. And uh, tell me about this piece. And I'm looking at it, and and what they don't care if you know what it is. They want to describe like you can look at how the, the what the instrumentation is and how the instruments are used and chords, and from that you can actually do some pretty easy forensics and figure out kind of have a good estimate when the piece was written and maybe even who wrote it. I happen to recognize the score because it was. A, one of the things I did when I was bored in the library is I'd flip through scores, and I actually knew exactly what it was. So I, I played stupid and said, well, we got this and that, and this and this is going on here. And So it's probably Stravinsky. Um, I'm fairly certain it's uh, A Soldier's Tale, but just, you know, I think it <laughs> Oh, my God. He no, must no. Have. <laughs> The only person I impressed with what they do for the uh, master's thesis uh, defense is um, – uh, they have three people or two, three people from my department plus one person they grab from an unrelated department to make sure they're not BSing me through. So I blew him away. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the other part of that story was where was like Alan the Walking Music Genome oh, Project? Oh, I remember. So uh, spring quarter, I had already done my thesis. The only thing I had my juries to do, and my professor was there, and. Somebody else, uh, the band director and um, director of bands sounds more exciting. Uh, and then the old, old percussion guy who was on his way out, but he knew me from undergrad school. And I play my piece, and they go, Yes, yeah, pretty good. He goes, And uh, he said, You play percussion pretty well for a clarinet player. <laughs> and uh, and that's when I let the cat out of the bag. I said, said my, my current professor, professor percussion professor said so you play clarinet i said yeah actually i was a woodwind major in undergrad he goes why did you how come you ever told me that because i said i figured if i told you i wasn't a real percussionist you wouldn't let me into the program he goes oh yeah you're probably right (laughs) (laughs) the uh your story you ever watched the movie drumline yeah it's Uh, one of my favorites but your story oh i love it um, it's always How my, can you love that movie? I was uh, Drumline Two sucks, but Drumline <laughs> One was a good movie. But your your story kind of reminded me of the um, the competitions they do to see who gets to uh, be in first string or whatever the hell they they call it in a marching band. The other thing, so we went to Walt Disney World the other day, um, and you know the I'm sure you know the name, but oh, yeah. uh, in the yeah, at Epcot Center the the uh, Japan area, they often had these women come out with these sticks and these large kettle drums. Okay. Is and it- I could watch these guys forever. All right. Love that style. Love anything you do with those big ass, what are they called? Are they kettle drums? Are they, are they uh, horizontal? Cause no, I- not the horizontal like marching band things, uh- but they're, 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 they look like. Um, are they tuned? Yeah, but they're gigantic. They're timpani or kettle drums. Okay, those are cool. You played that? (laughs) Yeah, I played that. You're slightly cooler (laughs) now to me than you were before. That's great. So does uh, Evan's thing count as an MB atom? It came in mail. All right, so we got a mail from Evan, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, but you know what has to happen first. Mailbag! 
Wow, there was a little bit of lounge in that one. That was fantastic. There was a, I, I live for the lounge. All right. Wait, wait. wait I was going to go into Copacabana for a minute, but oh, I'll, 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 no, I'll wait. Reeling it back. Reeling it back. Co- okay. Copa. Okay. <laughs> what did Evan say in his mail? Oh, I remember. So we got a mail from mail young Evan Lehrer. We used to work with Evan. Uh, actually, I, I remember... Evan, when his career was just this tall. Um, no, when I first met Evan, he was a uh, freshly minted IC uh, in, the, in the test organization. He's now uh, grown into leadership. He's left Microsoft uh, uh, years ago. Four, he came from four, X- four or five years ago from Xbox, went to um, Amazon. Amazon. They sell um, books. Yes, it- Everything oh, by else. the way, I used um, just to see if it worked. Uh, I had Amazon. Uh, uh, we have at Amazon same day delivery. Bring me um, some beer. It worked. Got it like an hour. It was kind of expensive. I just want to see. If I was bored on a Sunday. Neat story, Alan. All right. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right. Someday that's going to come in handy. <laughs> uh, you can go to Seven Eleven and get it in fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, it take longer. There's no Seven Elevens that close to my house. But, but I could I could have gone to the but store. But if you're already I, two hours in and I, running out of beer, I could, I, I could have gone to Thriftway and got it. I just wanted to see how they. I was kind of curious how the process worked. It was a purely exploratory order. <laughs> you know, one of the problems with the current room we're in is that we don't see the clock. I I, I got we got we're good. It's, 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 no, I know it's eight thirty, and it reminds me of uh, some feedback we got in the last podcast. Did you see that Twitter or tweet? Oh, yeah, after the rambling. Uh, after you made the 20 point. minute rambling, you guys got to a great point. <laughs> I think that was mentioned in a positive way. I, I, in my head, that was said positively. Oh, it was. And the fact that we actually made a point, because usually we just ramble for 40 minutes. Sure. Net so, improvement. Wait, we go with that way. Net improvement. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Evan uh, sent us a right, mail. So e- yes. Evan's at Redfin now. Yep. Fast forward to the. Yep. <laughs> oh look, they made a point. Um, Evan's at Redfin, and he asked. Uh, he said, "AB testing roadshow." Yes. And we said, "Roadshow." Okay. So his mail was to uh, Hey guys, it has been a while. I hope is all is well with you. Thanks, thanks for asking, Evan. It's going great. It's it is going great. All right, keep going. Yeah. Um, I recently joined Redfin as their Seattle QA manager. The company is at an inflection point, moving from three-week waterfall releases. What is that? that, that, That's like a scrummer fall thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But at least he knows that it's not scrum. Whatevs. Yeah. Whatevs. To a continuous integration model. However, there really isn't much expertise in the company on how to navigate this transition. By the way, Evan, if we're releasing... uh, NDA stuff. I'm sure Evan's the only one at Redfin that listens to us. We're I don't think fine. you know. I don't think there's anything. It's not like he said. And we're moving. We're doing a special new project. It requires this. What it does is it allows you to blah 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 blah. So his questions. Yeah. Uh, there are questions going around. Like, so do all devs need to write tests now? Yes. Next. And can we ship code to production without QA involvement? It depends. Next. And as a QA engineer. Do I have a place in this new world? It depends. Let's talk about that. Yeah. While I'm trying to help guide, it may be helpful to have some 
outside experts give a tech talk to the engineers. Oh, I missed the part where you wanted experts. I think we're out. Fake it. <laughs> what do you guys think? So, um, I have a question. What's a QA engineer? He doesn't say QA engineer. I thought you said the QA engineer. Oh, that's right. You're right. As a QA engineer. Of course I'm right. Do I have a place in this new world? Well, um, the first question's easy, but we should probably give it a longer answer. So the question, first question was, do all devs need to write tests? Do all right? tests need to write tests now? Can we ship code to production without QA involvement? No, dude, learn to read. Read that first sentence again so people understand it. So, do all devs need to write tests now? Hey, the long answer, I give the short, the short answer is yes. The long answer is yes. <laughs> or or affirmative. Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Um, that is absolutely because, well, you tell me why because, and I'll tell you why because. Let's actually give a real long answer. Do all the, if not, who's going to write the test? And actually, we've we've pounded on this forever. I think uh, for many tests, especially unit functional, making sure your stuff works, uh, there is no better person to write those tests than the person who wrote the code. At uh, some point, that that there's a line in where that's no longer true. And let me give you an example. For my team, our our team, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a QA engineer. I'm a uh, just still a software engineer, but on a team that doesn't have any testers, so I guess you know I, I cover some of that. But our devs are starting to actually get good at writing tests. What? And How not, is that possible? And not just unit tests. We have um, <laughs> our unit test suite is growing and, and becoming very valuable. But they're also writing uh, what we call scenario tests, which you could call user journeys or whatever, but some end-to-end-ish tests. Um, so, and they're, doing, they're getting better and better. The tests, are, the tests are getting less flaky, and they're covering more of the product. So it, and they're writing all those, which is great. And then we had a weird bug come in last week, and we thought, well, how do we miss that? And then... It only took me a few minutes to go, you know what? Our devs are very good at writing tests that test the happy path of the product. Mm. You know? And we are actually, we have a good, sweet, comprehensive suite <clears throat> that we make sure our product works as long as you stay in the rails. Uh, if you start doing those weird things that testers think of, like what happens if I do this a hundred times? What happens if I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, those things uh can cause problems. So uh, my job as a, I'm still not going to call myself a QA engineer, but part of my job is to help them get better at that. And, and also for me to do some of that myself um, and I'll spend some time with them. In fact, I have some meetings set up next week with each of the feature teams, kind of spend a half hour sort of brainstorming through the uh, sort of how you look at the edge cases. We'll call them edge cases for now, but the non-standard scenarios. So, uh, oh, by the way, um, Brent and I, so Brent, Brent's taking thinking? notes. Yeah, Brent's taking notes because uh, we're actually uh, putting together the outline for our presentation as we cast. Yes, we so, skipped ahead, so, but so, we agreed to, to go and talk to Redfin. Yeah, so yeah, we did. So I think the first thing we talk about is developer testing and a little chunk on that. And we'll have some stories and anecdotes there. And if you want to, you can add something to that or I'll shut up and let you talk about the next question. Well, there's 
Uh, one of the one of the framings that I'll put on this one is that anytime you're trying to do this change management, you have to consider, and I've said this a billion times on the podcast, you have to consider three aspects: the people, how, how they need to change, the technology, what needs to change, and how to the processes, the bridge between the technology, how how we expect the people to use the technology yeah. in a new way. Um, all of these questions, every time I have gone and done any sort of talk on this, these topics, the primary issue comes down to, wait, so you're saying that the culture I'm used to is going to have to change? Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're saying. Um, the other thing I think that we'll have to cover in this, um, certainly what, why, and how. Right, then the, Usually the why... Uh, is what seals the the deal in terms of getting them to go forward. Yeah, and this is not just, you know, we should understand from Evan, maybe even beforehand, why are they making this change? Maybe, usually there's a good reason for it, right? When you may make a change. Like, the, there's a reason they want to do continuous integration and have high daily quality instead of good daily good quality once every three weeks. They want to make that transition. They don't have to. There's a reason for it. Some teams make these changes because they heard from some other team that it had some benefit and they don't want to be left out. Um, I, I got to imagine that a company a, like Redfin wouldn't do this for that type of reason. That there's probably I, some business goal. That they're yeah. trying to achieve, but it's important if you if the team needs to make that transition, they are much more apt to make that transition if they understand why they're doing it. Yes, unless you know, because there are probably people that absolutely see it's going to be better. Some that think whatever, I'll go along for the ride, and some that think screw this, we're fine before. I don't need to change. This is true for any sort of cultural change. Yeah, yeah, those three camps. But the way you loop in and get momentum towards making the change happen is make sure everybody understands why you're making the change and what it's going, what's going to get better as a result of moving in this direction. Yeah, and um, set up the right training, set up the right uh, – for example, continuous integration. They're going to want to go from moving three-week waterfalls to a continuous integration model. I have yet to see a team that is able to do that successfully without some serious architectural investments. Well, let's, I mean, we can talk uh, hypothetically about this and we will for a moment before we get to the rest of the questions and notes. Mm -hmm. uh, what would I do? You make sure, so they have a build server. Sure. Because they're built, they're building, I don't think they're building once every three weeks. They're, they're building and testing. And I'm, if I'm going to imagine a three-week waterfall, it's uh, they do some planning for a couple days. They write code for a week and a half. Then they stabilize for a week. That would be I would do with a three-week waterfall. And some people are thinking, hey, man, that's how my team does Scrum. Thinking, well, that's a three-week waterfall. <laughs> the No, it, so the – I don't know if you know this. Um, I, I have a bunch of slides on this. They've done studies as to what is the best sprint size. Two. It Two is. weeks. What's the worst? Three. Why? Because it's, it's screwy. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It is indeed. Three is worse. Well, three, I'll, three I'll isn't you. the worst. The point is three is worse than four. Three is worse than four. Um, but it's actually three, one, four, two. Really? Yes. I, and, and that's interesting because um, I've done one week iterations before and they're kind of fun, but they um, but two feel good. I like two week iterations. So do I. I've been I've been pushing our team for that. I haven't <clears throat> got there. The main reason why three is what what the they have found is any any team who tries to onboard onto Scrum pure, but pick a three week um, sprint. It is the forces of evil will turn that into two weeks coding, one week stabilization. And I, I don't remember the numbers off of my hand, but it, or, but it's over fifty percent of the time. Interesting. So back on topic. Yep. Um, and, and by the way, number one or one week is the second worst because uh, the typical Scrum overhead um, becomes too costly in one week iterations. It might depend on the size of the team, but anyway, yeah. as I said, as I said a minute ago, back on topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to dive too deep in the technology stuff, but they have a little bit of walkthrough as an overview. They have a build server. They have to figure out is this, if it's configurable to uh, run automatically on check-in. And CI means you have a rich suite of tests that run as part of check-in. Uh, uh, and this can be, you know, depending on what they have already, You know, Jenkins is very popular, but we use VSO for CI. Um, as does a chunk of Microsoft because we make it. It's good for us to test it. Um, anyway, there's some technology things I got to figure out how they can do builds on every check-in. Mm-hmm. You have to look at the size of their team. Maybe they can't do a build on every check-in and they have to batch. Those are there's all trade-offs through there. But the idea is that uh, every build that goes to the CI server is uh, at a min-bar quality level defined by the suite of tests that 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 run. And hopefully that min-bar is very high. And if not, you add more tests. The the other thing too that you I'm, like I, I actually think every one of these questions we could do a whole hour tech talk on yeah so that yeah especially you because you babble all right what was let me put it this so there's, way there's technology I think you stuff you could do a whole hour there tech talk is on this. cultural stuff and there's a good story you know the Flickr story of uh, uh, I'll dig it up and share it because there's the story where they're and I'm going to horribly paraphrase this. Like I've horribly paraphrased all my stories that I read, then forget most of the details on. But I'm 90% sure it was Flickr where the CEO said, or some other high-ranking person said, uh, "I want to be able to ship every day." And his team was doing sort of this three-week waterfall thing, you know, or something like that. And they said, "You're, you're freaking high." And but they that was his rallying cry, and then rallying cries are important, and they got better and better, and they got to shipping a high quality product every week, and he had a big party and celebrate. People said, "Why are we celebrating? We need to get to every day." And it's like, oh, I I don't, you know, it's one of those things where I set the goal of every day in order to get to every week. Yes, and and the employee said, "Screw that, every day. Yep. <laughs> this is fun." The the other thing too, right? Waterfall to continuous, not only continuous integration. Um, in terms of like the infrastructure to technical infrastructure, but it also implies a shift to Kanban. Um, or something. You want a shift to high daily quality. Yep. A shift to some of the things that have to happen is you're not going to have, you're not going to think of features as things that span three weeks. Nope. You do, thing, you do things in small chunks. And you have to have monitors. 
Like I don't know it. I don't know if their technology is is that big enough that they need to worry about exposure rings, but they do need to have the ability to do detection on prod and quick reverse. Right, and when you think about it, and he doesn't necessarily say they're doing CI to prod, but CI. And you you can make that that choice to promote to prod. Moving from three week waterfall releases to a continuous so they integration wanna, they model, wanna, okay. I think. So there's a bunch of knobs to turn there. Yeah. Um, if they're if you know maybe let's talk about this for a second, and we'll I don't want to we don't need to do the whole talk here, but if they had say I assume they have a week of stabilization built into um, their three week waterfall, that means it takes them a week to stabilize their product. That would how do you do it? How do you stabilize that product now in a day, so you can release it in a day or in an hour, so you can, or continuous? Um, one, you don't mess it up that much. You have to automate a bunch of that testing. Uh, you can't you can't let bugs linger. There's a whole bunch of knobs you have to turn slowly, and they're not going to get there. They're not going to go. Okay, we finished our three week sprint today. Tomorrow we start we start releasing CI. It isn't going to work that way. The so a, there's a build. Um, like to me, creating the right branch integration strategy is key here, and and having a principle that your main branch is always RTMable. Yep. So changes as best as possible. Don't integrate into main branch unless it's passed. But you want to evaluate on the change by change basis. Mm-hmm. So right? for we we have um, our model. We use Git, and our model is develop branch is equal to our CI environment. So okay. the stuff that goes through CI goes to the develop branch. Uh, master um, is our, it's currently our dog food, but our production environment. Perfect. So for, we just do a merge from when this, this develop build is good. But do you have a, a, a check-in-based integration model? Yes. Or is it yes. a batch integration? Um, we do uh, both. Because we have we have actually it's a weird ours is complex we have multiple gates but we're actually moving from batch to check in and awesome. the check and the check in per check in runs all of the unit tests a, um, a subset of of all of our longer scenario um, protractor selenium tests um, and if any of those fail it's re- it's rejected otherwise they go in to develop mm-hmm. we know they're pretty good and then we immediately run a much richer suite of tests there to make sure there are no other integration problems with other people's checks going in. Yep. Um, so those are going on all the time. So continuous testing all the time on that develop branch. We also have monitors running in our um, both our pre-production environment and our, our dog food environment that find out if any of those things begin to fail. Actually, in our we have those monitors running in our uh, CI environment now, too, to find out if anything gets like slower or fails. So we have lots of checks and monitoring things, which are really pretty good. So I don't know Again, those are knobs we're slowly turning uh, because we're not, unfortunately, we're not to see, we're not to high, we don't have consistent daily quality on my product. Uh, but we're, so we're kind of along the same journey, a lot farther along than Evan's team is. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you guys are exactly on the same journey. And I also think that turning the knobs slowly is what makes sense. Boiled um, frogs, man. That's right. Because, again, you have to turn multiple knobs simultaneously to get this word. If you you shifted 
if you were to say, hey, tomorrow we're all Kanban, yeah. and you don't have the people trained up, you don't have the technology in place, uh, I don't <laughs> it's know an exaggeration, you're but about, you probably yeah. won't have a company in a couple of months. You have to bring people along for the ride. Uh, we got on this tangent by the QA stuff. We're not on tangents. Uh, We're right on By topic. definition, we don't tend. <laughs> All right. What As a QA engineer, do I have a place in this new world? Oh. Haven't we talked about that a whole bunch? We, we could argue that was okay. the whole reason we started the podcast. It is. And I think, oh, wow. That was nostalgic. <laughs> I my head really wants to go off on a tangent, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I have a whole other topic, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay right. There are no tangents in AB testing. We just covered this. Okay, I'm not I'm not gonna go there, but I guess it depends. But but listen carefully. If the only role on the team is to write software, implement software, and write happy path functional tests, um, there may not be a role for a QA engineer. No. But that's a really horrible way to make software. You, you can't just implement code and write happy path tests. You need, you need those generalizing. I think the, the former QA engineer is the generalizing specialist or specializing generalist that helps the team accelerate productivity, uh, applies systems thinking to make sure the edge cases and corner cases and things like reliability, perf, uh, globalization, et cetera, are all addressed. They look at the product overall to find out what is the because you're doing CI. What's how do we get better every day? Uh, most of your engineers aren't thinking of that, but QA engineers I think are uniquely tu- former QA engineers are uniquely tuned to do that sort of thing. They are. They're also helpful in terms of training up the other dev. Right. The, my ideal. Scenario when we when we're seeing this now, Evan, there's nothing in what Evan's talking about that suggests that they're considering unified engineering. Um, that's correct. But even if you're not, what? Okay, let's say you have a test team and you're doing that. But again, I think uh, unified engineering is almost irrelevant to this conversation because his role is going to change. Regardless, to more of what would more of an engineer role uh, to do CI. If you're if you're going to have daily high quality builds, you're not going to be running a test pass every day. The one issue. So let me ask you this, because we've talked about this in the past, but uh, we've now had more experience. But the statement that I've said in the past is still true today. Any team that I've seen where they're trying to move quality upstream and get dev doing more testing, if they have a low to medium level, even just one QA engineer in their scrum team, the model doesn't work. I've not seen a single situation. I've seen situations where there was a 10 to 1 dev to uh low to middle level QA guy and those devs are like I don't know what management's thinking how is one guy going to get all of this work done right the culture shift is just not going to happen the 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 dev seniority at minimum will will overpower this this one low level guy 
Well, just Evan, isn't strong Evan's, enough to defend. Evan's not a low-level guy. He's not. But so, we're, we're, we're talking about his team, though. I guess so. But uh, So what, I think what you're saying is that if the, low, the lower-level QA tester guy or girl is going to have less – not going to have the ability to have the influence – on the dev team to teach them how to help them write better quality software. And once, is that correct? Yes. And uh, even further, and we, we've talked about this, what, two, three episodes ago? Once the codependency loop starts? Yeah. I think you've got to eliminate that no matter what, right? Right. So let's, let's talk about that. And we'll get maybe a little bit of information from Evan first, but uh, you can... You don't want to put them on the Scrum team to be Dev's bitch, right? Uh, so, what is their role there? And Evan can help. You know, at le- any leadership can help figure that out. Um, I've obviously done this for a long time, but I'm in my team. I'm totally comfortable being the one sort of test guy for seventy, eighty devs. Yes, I don't go but to the- your 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 experience. Yeah. Right. So I gotta like, think. Uh, no, <laughs> that is not what I'm paid to do. Right. Absolutely. Right? And in fact, uh, we have I have a uh, five vendors here that uh, do some testing for us, and I've embedded them in the feature teams. Actually, and it's even less than that. Not only are the one tester in these feature teams, I had them span multiple feature teams because only five of them, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they are. They are very well trained. Um, when someone says, hey, can you do this test pass for me? Can you do this for me? Their answer is no. That's not what I do. I say, what do you and, and I said, but you're a tester. I said, what? And they're very much uh, a liaison and a consultant. They will work with, they will brainstorm with the with the scrum team on how to do some testing. And these are fairly junior people. They just but the model, I think, works. Evan, imagine Evan is a senior guy with a bunch of some junior people. Mm-hmm. That model sort of works as long as he facilitates their role in that scrum team. You can have the the more junior people there and and be successful. Yeah, I think I think the insight we just got on here is if you pay active attention to making sure that co- codependency loop yeah. never ever ever starts, then there's hope. Yeah, I, I right. think so. I, and the plan's working well because not only do they and, – and I talk to the engineering managers who are you know, massively more senior from these testers. They still seem as really valuable because they provide that different insight. Testers just look at the product differently. Uh, and then also they take – because they look at the product collectively as a whole. In fact, those five vendors probably know the product better than – the whole our product end-to-end better than anyone. But they'll go to their different feature team meetings and bring that information back to, back to the collective – Mm-hmm. So that little bit of that plugging in is super valuable. So I think if you, I, you know, I don't know if that's the only model that will work, but for me, you know, having those five vendors sort of get connected with those, we have like eight engineering managers who, who own like, uh, I'm totally estimating here, let's say 15 what we'll call feature areas of our product. And it's, so far it's working out pretty well. They're yeah. a little stretched thin, but... Again, it's my job to make sure that if they need to – like it makes sense for them to spend a little bit more time working with a team on this feature. I'm going to make sure they're, they're ramped back on other things so they're not stretched too thinly. I just had another idea. Let me, let me interject that and 
love to hear what you have to say. All right. All right. Um, I'm reminded back to the old days when uh, our friend James was still at Google, and he was describing— What was his name? James White? Uh, White? Watson? Witt, Witty? Uh, Witty, Witty Taker something? Witt Taker? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that guy. Um, he was describing—and and Google's changed, right? Um, I don't get the sense that the— the the principle they used to have of if you want to change teams tomorrow, you just notify the right people. I don't think that that's – I think Google's gotten a lot more command and control-ish. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. Yeah, uh, get to your point. For get them. to your point. Okay. So back in the day, um, QA guys could pick and choose where they wanted to work. So if they were engaged with a, a dev team and that dev team was trying to do some of this dev bitch stuff – that dev team lost their QA guy because I don't like working with yeah. you. I, I'm going to go does work it, on that does thing Doesn't work. I mean, yeah, it's harder when you're at a smaller company because your option is to quit and apply for other jobs. Yeah, it, I guess it depends on how many, right, uh, yeah. how many choices you have. But if you, if you dramatically short like the dev to QA ratio, right, if there's only – one QA per dev team of, say, seven. Um, e- even that's too high, I think. But go on. Then, then you, you could potentially start up a process of, hey, um, you, one of your QA guys comes to you and says, hey, I didn't like this. I need your help. Uh, you don't need my help. Tomorrow you're going to work with that, that team is set. Right. I don't um, know. I don't know about that model. We can explore. Okay. So you should. We should. Do we you gotta, understand what the benefit yeah. would be of that. Yeah. Okay. Good. I do. You want to? Yeah. Keep them engaged. I think we have enough information for an outline. And Evan may listen to this podcast and go, "All right, guys, I'm good. You don't need to come." <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I'm good. We talked about what um, the themes for a, a. We didn't even. I don't know that we even really covered. Why. It's done, man. Presentation's done. We're good. Okay, awesome. I'll, I'll put together a slide of some sheep and um, a balloon and... Uh, the a Avengers slide. I like your Avengers slide. You should put that one oh, in. Oh, we should do that. We should do some of that. So, it's still, yeah. 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 Uh, right. and, and the one that goes after that whole sequence there. Perfect. So, right. what do you think? I think we better call it a day. All right. All right, everybody. I am not Brent. And I am. See you next week or next time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again... Uh, Shredder no, next no, week. We're done. We're done. We're, we're done. You don't get to talk after goodbye. Reach out to me on Twitter. See you guys. Yeah.